When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Cotton Club crew. We have a special guest with us today. We have an interview. We haven't done one of these in quite a while. I always love these interviews. It's great that we can set them up. Um, Tobias Bass is joining us. If you don't know Tobias's work, he's big on the college hoops recruiting side, high school recruiting side. You probably see him either dropping the all all kinds of different recruiting tweets. The biggest one lately is if you're wondering to know whose school's talking to who, he posts a lot about it. Um, he's a really great source of information, and especially for Red Raider fans, he pays close attention to our stuff as well as the Big Twelve. And we're really grateful. We've talked to him before. We're going to get some updated on some of the topics we talked about previously. So if you listen to the first recording uh, that we did with him, some of these questions are pretty <coughs> similar. But I, I like to think of it that in the new kind of recruiting world things are changing very fast with coaches adapting on the fly and I think it's good to check in and see you know this is what it was believe about a year ago and we spoke here's where we are now and you can kind of listen to both those episodes and see how things have changed um, if you'd like I'm joined with Joe Joe also be helping me out with this interview and I'll just go ahead and get us started Tobias first thank you for being here um, the first question that I wanted to ask you is one that I've been kind of worried about just because I, I, I know that there is some reason to believe that high school recruiting is going to take a beating now that I think we're over 3,000 players into the portal every year. And I want to ask, since you you know obviously speak to high school parents, coaches, and these, these recruits, has the situation gotten to a point where guys are finding it harder to get interest and in offers for the caliber player, you know, maybe your three-star guys, four-star guys who ordinarily wouldn't have these issues finding homes. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree. So my normal nine-to-five job, I work at the Athletic. I, I did, a, I actually did a story on this back in February. So I interviewed um, a variety of college coaches. I've interviewed high school kids that'll be freshmen next year. And um, some NBA scouts about it as well. So I talked to um, a couple of commits. Uh, one of them, one was Finley Bisjack. He's a four-star recruit. He's from Dallas. Committed to Butler. He even he even told me he was like, yeah. Um, he said he said it did play a role in my early recruitment. There were several schools interested in me. They came and went during the process. They said they had chosen to go with veteran players in the portal. He was a top 100 kid. I believe he led the Dallas area in scoring. He ended up working out for him because he's at Butler, but. He had several schools that reached out to him that were interested, but they decided, you know what, we're going to wait on it. We're going to go in the portal. So if it could happen to a top 100 kid that leaves arguably one of the best areas in the country in basketball, it could happen to anyone. So with that, with, with, this, with that kind of information happening, what kind of advice do you give you know, if a recruit, you're talking to a guy either for a story or just to get some info. If somebody asks you now, like, what what do you have to do to get on college coaches' radars now as a high school recruit? You know, what what what's the advice? Are there certain camps you got to attend? Is it just get to above the top 50 to get noticed? What's like the safest path now if you want to go high major as a high school recruit? I think, generally speaking, the top 
40 to 50 kids will be okay, but there's only 40 or 50, 50 of those, generally speaking. So my advice to a high school kid would be love who loves you. You know, a school that you like that's been, you know, rocking with you for a while, I probably would try to go ahead and try to get that over with. I wouldn't wait. Like, I, I mean, another example, I had a kid last year. He had offers from Florida, Georgia Tech, Mississippi State, et cetera. He kept waiting. He kept waiting. You know what happened? All three of those schools had coaching changes. New staff came in, didn't want him anymore. So he had to wait. He didn't He didn't sign or commit to a school. It was like two weeks before classes started in August. So if I were a high school kid, I would be really, really big into the love who loves you. Find a school that you know that you like and go ahead and try to do it. I believe for the 2023 class, I think it was out of the top 150, I think like 100 of them were, had, were committed before um, January 1st. I think it might even been more, but it was around that number. So that shows you the impact of this thing. Tobias, um, thanks again for joining us, and I appreciate you taking the time um, to join us this afternoon. This is my first time to it, so you know I'm still kind of getting my feet wet and acclimated with all of this. Um, as it comes to with the high school students, what are you hearing from the high school students and parents that you talk about or talk to on the regular as far as relationships or if NILs involved? Like, it, are what's like some of the first questions that some of these athletes are asking these these universities whenever they're um, recruiting them? Um, I, I kind of think it just depends on the parent. You know, some some parents, you know, they, 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 they're they about the money. You know, they know they, they feel their son is worth X, Y, and Z. And, you know, that's going to be something that comes up early. You see some schools, they have a whole um, conglomerate. So, you know, each player will get paid about the same. I think A&M was one of the first schools to do that on the football side. So I think um, – I think it just kind of just depends on the pan that you're talking to or the kid that you're talking to. Some kids, you know, they're a little bit more vocal about, oh, I want this number going in. Some kids are not really worried about that. They're more worried about basketball. I do think times have changed. No kid's going to play for free, at least not most of them. So they do need, I'm, I'm glad this happened. Like, I'm glad kids are being paid. I think this is the first time in college basketball where the kids have actually had leverage. Because, you know, a coach, he can leave and do whatever whenever he wants. So a player via the Porter or the NIL side, I think generally it's a good thing. There will be some cases where it's bad, but I think overall it's a good thing. Speaking of NIL and, and kind of the money side of things, because it's something that we, we see some outrageous sums reported, and some of those figures are more accurate than others. Obviously, schools like Miami tended to be a lot more forthright with the fact that, like, yeah, hey, screw it. We, went out, we bought our team. We bought them. You caught us. We, we went and did that. And some schools tend to play it very close to the chest. And some schools outright deny this is happening at all. But what I am always curious about with the money is football, you know, you've got a huge roster. So obviously some of the stars will get more money than others. That's just how it works. When, you know, your quarterback's worth X, your starting D end is worth Y, and your second string tight end is worth, you know, Z. But for basketball, you only got 15 guys. Usually, I think it's like 12 of which are scholarship. 10 to 12 actually are on scholarship. So it's a much tighter-knit program. And the starting five are all more or less kind of equally important unless you really got like a super, superstar. So 
do you see a, are there situations out there in which this kind of stuff is causing locker room issues or are schools doing a good job of just being like hey you know this guy may get a little more than you but we're keeping these numbers pretty tight um for me like obviously you know they're college kids so you know they're probably going to vocalize those things. Some of them might even just be how they carry themselves, things that they purchase. I would generally try to keep those things separate because you could cause an issue. I mean, you could have a guy, he could be a three-star recruit, but if he's out playing the five-star, the five-star is making twice as much as him, he probably is going to be upset about that. And he does probably have a point, but if I was a coach, I probably would try to keep that separate because, because yeah, you guys are teammates, you guys are brothers and family, but I don't think anyone should know what the other one is making. Now, if they want to tell each other, that's the wrong thing. But far as in a meeting, one on one, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say anything. Piggybacking kind of off of that um, nil stuff, if it was you personally that could change one thing, good or bad, about the nil from what you've seen from a perspective of the position you're in, what kind of changes do you think should be made? or potentially could be made in the near future for NIL moving forward? Um, that's a good question. I guess right now we're still learning a bunch of information about it. You know, we, I feel like we're learning something new every day. I just think you, you kind of brought the point up earlier. Some players are worth more than some uh, than others. That's just, how, that's just how life works, not even in sports. That's just life. You know, if you have someone that has – 10 years experience opposed to someone that has two, they probably should make more money than them. That's just how it works. So I guess for me, some of the schools that are trying to force upon everyone gets paid the same. I don't think that's fair. I, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that's fair. Now I get it from the school perspective, like the, like the NIL, you know, the collective sure. But I would allow those other kids to go out and make more money for themselves. Cause it's a free market. You know, you should be able to make as much money as you want to, as much as you can. So I wouldn't limit, some some kids money money making opportunities because you want everything to be fair. I don't think I don't think that's fair. The there's one particular topic, and maybe this is just me being crazy because I, you know, I've done Viva the Matadors on the Twitter side for for years, so I see obviously we follow several recruiting analysts, yourself, guys on the tech end, and we see all kinds of the posts. The one that's developed lately that's been driving me insane, and it feels like we've never seen anything like this, is people posting comments where it's a, a transfer portal player saying I've had X schools reach out to me and contact me. And some of these lists, I mean, they, some of these guys damn near say every power five schools contacted me. So when I see these lists, the thought that always jumps into my head is okay. So when you say these guys are interested in you, what the hell do you actually mean by that? So I'm going to ask you, since you talked to some of these players, when these guys are saying like, oh, I've heard from these schools, are we talking about coaches just giving a call? Or are we talking about, you know, you've got actually 15 to 20 schools seriously trying to pursue one portal prospect? So I think, so, you know, some, you know, there, there's levels to it. So, you know, sometimes some kids got in the portal, you know, when the portal first opened up, you know, some kids got in there. I won't say his name, but there was a kid who came into a Pac-12 school not too long ago. When he first got in the portal, every high major school was uh, was calling about him. Towards the end of his recruitment, while before he committed, those schools weren't contacting him anymore. So the school that he picked, he had to pick that school by default because the other 15, 20 schools that he had originally posted were not contacting him anymore. And those, these situations are fluid. 
Sometimes when Hunter Dickinson gets in the portal, things change. Caleb Love gets in the portal, things change. Some of those calls you were getting from those high major schools, they might get a little bit more spaced out or you might not get them at all anymore because they're probably going to generally focus on that. So that just goes back to my point as if you're in the portal or if you're a high school kid, if I were them, I would try to get in the portal as fast as I can and get out as fast as I can. Right now there's a little over 1,400 kids in the portal. As of today, they have exactly a month until the portal closes. I can see close to 2,000 because last year it was about 1,700. So I can see close to about 2,000 names getting in there. And kind of to go a little bit more off of that, um, so would you would you say that, it, or would it be fair to say that, you know, if you're a high school student, or I'm not even a high school student, a, a transfer uh, transfer portal player, that some of these things you know, could be damned if you do, damned if you not, because if you're being highly sought after one as soon as you as soon as you announce you're transferring and then, you know, you get a Hunter Dixon or a Caleb Love that comes out and then it's the same position you're looked at. And then, you know, another team decides to go that route or at least to push all their chips in um, with that player that just came and entered his name in the portal after the fact that you did. Yeah, no, I think it is. I mean, last year, I think you had over 450 or somewhere around that number of kids that didn't find a division one school. Unfortunately, it's probably going to be about that number, maybe even a little bit more. So I think it is a kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. You just have to be careful. You know, you have some guys will hop in the portal, the average 0.7 points, half a rebound. It's probably going to be hard for you to find a school. Not saying you can't. It just it just may be difficult. You know, because because at that point you're almost on the equivalent of a high school kid. At that point, you know, you didn't have any stats. You know, they they're not really for sure unless you have like a pure connection to that particular school or, you know, that, or, you know, for sometimes the school, if you're a freshman, the school, a school that recruits you out of high school may end up taking you, but sometimes it is tough. So with these guys who are, who are moving around, um, you know, tech has obviously had mixed success with transfers. Some have been fantastic. Some haven't really made an impact. Some have been basically in the program, out the program. But what I am curious about generally with these guys is you see a huge emphasis on, you know, these transfers. The highly touted guys tend to come from the Power 5 programs. The guys where we have these big internal transfers, Caleb Love-esque, where for some reason, Nigel Pack, another example of this, for some reason it didn't work out wherever they were. These are serious contributors. These are known commodities. They come out, demand huge sums in the market. But I am curious about guys who are the opposite. They're coming out and they got to go down. They have to drop a a level. They need to go back to, um, say, they're dropping to Conference USA or below. You know, they're going to drop from from a school like Alabama and end up at a school like Florida International. You know, how does that recruiting, you know, cycle work? Is it is it hard for these guys to accept that? Do some players know they've got to go down? Do guys go with the intent now that the, it's basically wide open? I mean, like, I'm going to go for a year, then work my way back up. Um, is, is that recruiting market still you know, a strong path for players to take or are you kind of in trouble if you've got to drop below your current level? I'll give you a perfect example. Brandon Podzemiski, he was a top 80, 70 recruit two years ago. He goes to Illinois as a freshman last season, not this season, season before, doesn't play. I think he played 
12, 13 games, whatever it is. Good player. Transfers to Santa Clara. I think he won player of the year in that conference, or he was a first-team all-conference in that league. He'll be a first-round pick this year. His his points and everything, it was skyrocketed. I think he had, he had a phenomenal season. I think he had like 17, 5, and 5, something like that. Had a great season. He'll be an NBA player. So for him, I think it worked out perfectly well. He went from a the back end of the bench to a pro. So I think that for me, fit is more important than the talent. You have to find a school that fits you now. And with the portal changing so much, the the, the difference between a mid-major and a high-major or a low-major to a mid-major is drastically shrunk. I mean, you, you, you've seen the Tech games. Nickel State came to Lubbock and almost beat Tech. You know, Coppin State went on the road to Georgetown and almost beat Georgetown. Washington State went to Texas Southern and lost. Uh, it was another Pac-12 school. They went to TSU and lost. And there were three Pac-12 schools that went to play schools in the SWAC on the road and all lost. So the difference between the levels now was different. You look at uh, Western Kentucky, they didn't have a great year. But look at some of the guys they brought in from a portal a year ago. They got a Kentucky transfer, an Indiana transfer. They had a first-team all-conference guy in the Mountain West all go to Western Kentucky. That's a team that I probably wouldn't want to play them in a general setting because they have talent just like a high major. Now, given the um, players that Tech has in the portal currently, um, I know you can't directly tell us anything that's going on, but I guess if I was to use an analogy of an oven, out of Fisher, Bacho, and KJ Allen, who's in the preheat stage, who's in the ready-to-bake stage, and who's the oven still off kind of phase? I know there's a month left in um, the, the period to sign, so out of those three guys, do you have any kind of timeline that you could kind of share with us what's going on? Um, it wouldn't surprise me if KJ Allen got off the board in the next week or two. That wouldn't surprise me. I think he even put out like a list or something recently. He did something recently, but I think he'll be off the board soon. Um, Fisher's process has been pretty quiet. And Bacho, uh, Bacho is going to get super high interest because there aren't that many good centers in the portal at the moment. So he's one of the better ones. I think it, I think at the Athletic at my job, we have him as like a top 17, 18 player in the portal at the moment. So he's going to have major, major interest. So he, yeah, he'll, he'll he can probably even take his time to a certain degree because there's going to be so many high majors calling calling about him. So this this actually is an interesting thing, Joe. You, you, you it, it, we were talking about this before, and I think you used some language there that I I think kind of leads to this. You mentioned Elijah Fisher's been so quiet, and guys like you know Robert Jennings, he ultimately elects to return to Tech, but he was so out there with a timeline and with who he's talking to and what visits he's setting up. And some of these guys are just like total radio silent. You know, Elijah Fisher being one who I don't know if he said anything at all other than maybe who he's heard from i mean i don't even know if he's done that you know in 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 your experience is it better for these kids these camps when they're talking transfers to get really out there and really try to make some noise or if you're really serious about staying where you're at is it better to, to kind of stay quiet and just make the decision that's best for you based on what you're hearing from these kind of one-on-one calls you know or however this process is happening behind the scenes so I think it's interesting. You actually asked a good question. I mean, this is this is free marketing. Twitter is free marketing. So when you have a me, a Tipton, uh, Travis Brandom, you know, 
all these guys tweeting out something that is hearing from your school. That makes you more marketable. And then, you know, I haven't, I can't, I can't tell you if I had a player deal with this before, but even the, let's say the line, let's say a kid's line that he had all these high major schools, that makes him super marketable because no, because no, because no one can officially fact check it. So that makes you super marketable in this era of portal where, you know, if you're a South Carolina fan, right. But you see Georgia Tech recruiting a kid, a South Carolina coach may see, well, damn, if Georgia Tech's interested in them, we got to get on them too. Maybe that does cause, you know, South Carolina to reach out now instead. So now you're driving up the value of what you are. So I think, I think, it, I think it is. If I was a kid, if I was a kid, I, I would for sure want me or Tipton or whoever to tweet. I would definitely want that because that makes me super more valuable. But one thing that does too, it also can drive your NIL up. How many, how many followers do you think a player is getting that he tweeted out? I'm, I'm hearing from Arkansas, Texas Tech, and Alabama, for example. Hundreds, maybe even a thousand. You know, Texas fans are crazy. If a text, if a, if a prospect right now tweeted, I'm hearing from Texas Tech, um, several Texas Tech fans would follow him. Just because the drivers in AL marketable marketability. With some of the um, the transfers that <clears throat> you you know that are already currently in the portal, um, that are kind of that have been mentioned with Tech, is there any player out there that you would think that Tech fits what McCaslin does? I mean, I'm sure you've followed McCaslin and you kind of know his coaching style and we kind of know briefly just based on what we saw with the NIT kind of run but is there any transfer out there that's kind of connected to tech that you wouldn't mind seeing in a tech uniform I think a guy I would like to see is Darian Williams from Nevada he won rookie of the year in his conference I believe he's supposed to actually come visit tech this weekend um I would I would be shocked if he didn't commit to Tech over the weekend. We'll see. You know, I don't want to put any pressure on him or whatever. I want him to do what's best for him. But I think he's a guy that really, really fits. Shot 35%, uh, almost 36% from three this year as a freshman. Six, seven, kind of a tweener, three, four type of guy. He's a good player. I, I would like to see Tech uh, try to bring him in this weekend and sign him. So Joe mentions McCaslin's coming in. We talked about this actually last night on our, our regular show, which is, you know, the kind of the changing expectation for new coaches. It, it just it feels like the discussion we had was just generally speaking, like how long do new coaches actually get now when you can turn over rosters much quicker than ever before? You can bring in, you know, four or five new faces and try to build a team out of, you know, known commodities, college players who had success, either mid-major or high level um, and I want to ask you generally, when you're looking at a guy like McCaslin coming in, what kind of expectations do you have for a coach like this to come in? Are you thinking, you know, he's got to show year one, or we think, are we still giving him two and three? What, what, what would, if you're looking at the state of basketball with how quickly you need to build your program, what kind of timeline is acceptable to reach, you know, the level that's expected for a tech program that's invested so much money over the last few years into their basketball facilities and their coaches and all that? I would say from the castle, I would give him the traditional two to three years. I mean, he won. You know, it's not his fault, but he inherited a mess. He did. Look, look at the expectations were high for last year's team. They weren't very good. You got guys in the portal. You saw what happened with Adams on his way out. He inherited a mess. He did. So for him, he has to start from the ground up. I mean, at the moment, he doesn't even have a staff. He has like three guys on staff. One, then, you know, he has to get the culture to right. He has to get the culture together. The culture last year was a mess. You saw the rumors and everything that was coming out about it. He has to get that fixed in place. 
Texas last year was too noisy in my opinion. And I'm, and I, you know, and I'm an alum, you know, there, I mean, and for me working into me, there were some, some things I didn't mean, I felt that I shouldn't have known. Some, I, some, I, some I did talk about, some of it I wouldn't talk about, but I should know that. I live in Houston, Texas. I live nine hours away from the, I, I should know that thing. I should know any of that. So I think they have to kind of get the culture back, you know, together. I mean, I know Bear's been gone a couple of years, but when, the, you know, when he was here, the culture was solid. Culture was rock solid. That's one reason why they were so good. They're super family oriented. Sure, there was some things we heard, or whatever, but we didn't know all the details, and nor should we. Culture was solid. Tech has to get back to that, and I think they have to find their niche as far as um, recruiting, whether that's high school or uh, the transfer portal. And I think McCaslin will do that, but he does have to get certain things in place. What he will tolerate, what are his non-negotiables? He needs to get that together. Get him a good group of guys that he has, because some of the guys that he has coming back, he inherited them. Those aren't some of the guys that he, you know, I think he's keeping the ones that he wants, but he's still, these are guys he inherited. They're going to have to get adjusted to them. Same as he's going to have to get adjusted to those guys as well. So this is, you, you bring something up. We actually at, talked, we had our, our mailbag guy, Chris, talk about this um, because of something we've heard. Tech tech has been, and I, I like the word you're using, probably way too noisy and what i am always curious about with this stuff because obviously you can't control message boards if you're a program message boards are a lawless land but it does concern me deeply that it felt like the second this ship started to sink that we could we were getting a really close look at what was going on behind the scenes and the only guys who can tell you some of this stuff are guys who were super connected to the program like real big money boosters and it, what concerns me deeply is that's going on, and I, I gotta ask when when you talk about like it didn't used to be a thing, was it all just the fact that Mark Adams had issues managing relationships? Was this a little bit maybe a little vindictive by some of the boosters leaking some of this stuff? Was it just the result of a bad culture overall? Is that something that can be quickly, or not quickly fixed is the right word, but is that something that a, a different coach can come in and kind of seal the breaches up? Or does Tech have some sort of information control problem that's more endemic and has to be looked at closer? No, I don't think they have a problem. I just think that they, they needed this. A change of scenery was good. I think a change of scenery for Mark and some of the players was, was a good thing. And I think Adam, I mean, not Adam, I think McCaslin, I think he's a good dude. And I think he'll be tough and he'll be firm and he should be. Because when you inherit a mess like this, you have to have a strong leader to come in there and fix those type of things. And I think he's the, I think he's a guy that can do that. Like I said before, what are his non-negotiable? What will he accept? What will he tolerate? What type of guy does he want to bring in here? So when he gets that established and brings and gets those, you know, those in order, I think, I think it'll be fine. You know, he just, he just has to figure out what that is. I'm sure he knows. I'm sure he knows and he'll, he'll fix it. He, they, they, you just need a strong, you can't have someone come in soft to fix this type of thing. Cause if it does that, that those issues that can linger on for years, you've seen programs, some of them, they, that type of stuff goes on for, for a while, half decade, can't win. Coaches in and out of there all the time. I think McCaslin will be the one that can um, that can fix it. As you alluded to a little bit earlier, without the coaching staff, you know, only technically the two from North Texas that came across, and um, the strength and conditioning coach, I believe, was just announced yesterday or the day before. I'm not 100 percent sure 
with some of the names that have been kind of thrown out there. Obviously, we all know Ben McCollum's name. We kind of all know his resume and what he's done. Um, Barrett Perry's name has kind of been thrown out there quite a bit as a as an assistant as well. Um, which one of those two guys do you think would fit the McCaslin system better? Because I've heard on this pod, I've heard different around the around our boards and things like that, different things about one's yay, one's nay. Um, personally for you, which one do you think would fit McCaslin's staff better for tech? Do we, do I have to pick? Can we just get both? I think we can get both. I think, I think, I, I think, wish both, we could. I think both, I think both, I think both would make sense. I think, you know, McCollum, what he does offensively and Pierre is the same way as far as him being a recruiter. Cause tech, they're going to have to get like a rock style of recruiter. I think that that matters. You're going to have to get you a guy that can recruit, that can bring guys in via the portal and high school. I think that for me, I, I like the portal. The portal is fascinating, but I think you have to have a good mix of both. You can't have a bunch of old dudes. You can't have a bunch of young dudes. You got to have a good, solid mix of both because you have to have something to build your program off of. And I think Perry, as far as his relationships with, with kids and his understanding, I think he would be really, really good for that as well as far as the offensive schemes. And I think McCollum would be as well. Um, I'm surprised neither one of them are there. I know that Perry hasn't been offered a contract yet, so that explains why he's not there. The McCollum thing, I'm not totally sure. I feel like, I mean, it's April 12th. You know, I, I think you kind of got to – we got to kind of get this thing moving because, you know, I, feel, I mean, honestly, th- there's no excuses, but I kind of feel bad for the coaches there. I mean, they're doing – it's three of them. They're doing like a five, six, seven-person job. They're training the kids, making calls, traveling. That's a lot. So they got to kind of hurry up and get a staff. And I wonder at what point will they end up getting one? I'm sure that I know they're working around the clock to get one, but they got to get one soon. I feel. I always wonder about with, you know, the, the, the recruiting scene, how coaches actually have to approach players now. Um, and one of the things I'm, I, I know there's, there's still, you know, obviously the game is a combination of factors. It's relationships. It's NIL. It's all these things. And but what I am curious about is you mentioned you really need to bring in a lockdown recruiter. You need to bring somebody who's an ace. Somebody on your staff has to be good at that. What actually defines the guy who can just go in and get a player to sign on the diet line? Like what what skills do they have to have and what knowledge do they have to have about, you know, local talent or national talent that allows them to be like, okay, if that guy's in the room, you got like a fifty percent chance this player's saying yes. Uh I think good communication skills are important. Previous relationships, like you look at uh, AC, the new uh, assistant that they got, he, he's super well-connected. He's very well-connected. He'll be a guy I think that he can get tech to land, do, get to be a good communicator and have past relationships. I think now with the portal, now you have to kind of recruit everybody, especially like even to a certain degree in high school. You've been in the scene is, for, for you'll quite have some time as far as it goes with recruiting. Two years ago, it probably for wasn't you personally, who have been some of the better recruiters that you've actually spoke to and seen out there on the trail? Two years from now, he'll be really good. Now he's good at the player to a level. He's like a junior instead. If you have a relationship with that kid back from two years ago, he will consider you. He, he will. I think, you have, I think you have to kind of recruit everybody and just kind of be smart. You have to kind of be smart with it.
Um, Omar Lowry, he coached at Butler two years ago. He's at Cal Poly, super well connected. I wish Tech would give him an interview, honestly. Um, Lyle Wolf at Texas A&M, he's gonna be, he'll be a head coach one day. Phil Forte at St. Louis, he'll be, a, he'll be another head coach one day. Um, look at like guys like, um, Jan, you know, James Howard, he was at Texas last year, super well recruited. Kellen Sampson, there, there's a bunch of names that I could, I could, I could throw out. These guys are, you know, super, super smart guys. They could be head coaches if they wanted to. Nothing but respect for those guys, and their track record proves it. Jacus at Baylor, I, I haven't met him personally, but he's 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 really good. He'll he'll be another Baylor uh, alumni that'll be a head coach one day too. So there, there's a there's a bunch of guys. Those are um, Broussard at TCU is another one. Um, there, there's a lot of good recruiters out there, I, you know, and, and, and you can, you'll see it. They all kind of maybe do it in a different way, but this general principles apply. Phenomenal um, communicators, honest with the kids, and they're just super well-liked guys. You'll never hear anything bad to say about, about those guys. So I'll bring us to a close with one last question for if you just, you know, some people skip around on this on these podcasts, they skip the intro. If you missed our intro, we're here with Tobias Bass. Catch his work over at The Athletic now. He also is all over Twitter with all kinds of information for you guys. We're extremely grateful to talk to someone who really knows this scene. The last question I want to close out with is just kind of at a high level, the portal is here to stay. I, I don't imagine they're ever really going to try to rein this in just because w- what limits do you impose on players that don't exist for coaches? And everybody has an opinion about right, wrong. It, it, it just doesn't really matter. It is. What I am curious about from your perspective, you talk to all these recruits, you talk to these parents, you're talking to coaches, NBA scouts. Um, I want to know just generally, if a player wants to make it to the NBA, if they want to make it to the NBA, and that's that's their goal, either to start out in the G League or guys who are actually you know, going to be like you know your first-round draft picks, your lottery picks, does transferring at all, is it, is it at all weighed against a, a prospect? Or is it literally just, okay, you transferred, you found a better fit, you're good to go? Do, do, does anyone care about these kids needing two, three stops to find their right home? I think the short answer now would be yes, they care, but, the, but over time they'll adjust. Because this is the nature of the land. At the end of the day, if a kid can play, the kid can play. Because there's going to be guys that transfer up a level. Like I said, with Brandon Pazemiski, he was at Illinois. He wasn't on anyone draft boards two years ago. He'll be a first-round pick this year. So I think that to answer your question, yes. But I think that over over time, it, it will adjust. Yeah, a kid, he may, you know, he might not have been good in 2023, but in 2025, he's a rock star now. So I, I think I think over time, it'll um. It'll adjust, and sometimes you know the kids they they transfer for a variety of reasons. It doesn't sometimes have to just always be bad. It's just coach gets fired. He may feel that he's outgrown the place. He might not be comfortable there. You know, a coach that he you know one of his old AAU coaches gets a college job somewhere. He wants to go play for him. There's a variety of reasons. I think that the times will eventually uh, catch up. Yeah, I, I think you know I that is something that I always worry about with some of these guys because I don't I do believe at the end of the day the ultimate goal for these players whether it's to go pro in the NBA or go overseas or whatever is that you know you're going to transfer for whatever reason and some of these guys I think will leave for money and some of them are going to leave for you know coach gone all that I I do hope we get to a point where you know it isn't 
I, I always think that, like, I think about this with the NFL, when you watch, like, those intro takes, like, uh, some of these guys are from, I mean, no offense to some of these schools, but who gives a shit state produces as many NFL talent caliber players as, like, Alabama, right? Like, it just feels like every year, like, they'll go find you. And, but I, I always worry that it, it just doesn't seem to work the same way in the NBA yet. And I'm hoping, my hope for the portal is with all these guys moving around, and the, I think the talent level in the game evening out so much now that everybody's getting older because these guys are staying longer because they have had more options um, that, you know, I, th- I hope that eventually we get to the point where we really do have where it does not necessarily matter if you play at Duke or if you play at North Texas, if you can ball, they're going to go find you and you're going to have a, the equal shot, less the brand. Um, and that's where I hope we get to. So that's, that's why I wanted to ask that is just kind of see where we are now. Um, I know this is all one of the reasons I like talking to Tobias is because this shit seems to change all the time and it's rapidly evolving and changing so like i said if you want to do an interesting experiment we talked about some of these topics about a year ago so listen to that first interview with him he was fantastic then in that as well and kind of see if you see some of the differences in the answer i think now that we're at a period where this is more normal some of these answers have changed some of these things have gotten worse quote unquote as in like the the situation's gotten more extreme some of them i think have improved drastically and wherever you stand on the nil era in the portal era or whatever the case may be just remember it is here to stay and also guys this is a general shout out because tech fans are insane um be nice to players in the portal just 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 don't treat them like you would treat high school recruits you know it it, it, some players aren't going to handle this the right way we we all know who I'm talking about with some of those, and some guys are. And just just respect everybody's decisions because you don't know at the end of the day why somebody's going. So just treat everybody as if like they're leaving for the world's best reason. Because you would be stunned to find out how many of these guys. It's literally just I'm homesick and I need to get closer to home. You know, just to, don't make assumptions that you do not have backed up with facts. And even if you know the case, don't say anything anyways because. It's not your place. So just remember that. Thank you again to Tobias for being here. This was very enlightening. I, I, I appreciate you coming on. Um, hopefully, we, I, honest to God, hopefully we can have you on again. And we'll, next time we're talking, maybe we aren't coming off of one of the worst tech seasons in years. And we can talk about maybe some tournament news. Um, any, and I'll, I'll give you, 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 you know, if you want to read Tobias, go. he's with The Athletic now, so you can read his stuff. Follow him on Twitter. But I do want to say, Tobias, anything just last thoughts you want to say before we sign off? Um, I think you kind of just, with your point about, um, you said, like, uh, how time to change with the NBA. You even look at, in this year's draft, you have, like, a kid from UCF, Taylor Hendricks. He'll be a top eight pick. Houston will have a top top 10 pick, Alabama, Arkansas, you know, I haven't named Kentucky or Duke yet. You know what I mean? So you see, and obviously Alabama, Arkansas, those are big schools. They have top-notch facilities, but those are football schools. Tom, Tom is just different now. You know, Kentucky, they're going to have a couple guys get drafted this year. Same, same with Duke over, over this, this year and next year, but the, the, the landscape is just changing. So you're going to, you're going to see, you're going to see players coming out of out of out of um, from different programs. They might even transfer in, like Ricky Council. He is at Arkansas. He can transfer. He'll be probably a second round pick. He'll get drafted. So sometimes, you know, even, it, things will just be a little different. Duke and Kentucky, etc. Those blue bloods, they're going to have NBA play. That's what they do. But you're also, I think, you're going to see a little bit more um, variety going forward. Thank you again for being here. It was very, it was very helpful for us. I like to think that you know our readers respect the tech alum more than some. Uh, uh, you know that's one of the reasons why I think 
talking to you is always so helpful as tech fans are, you know, tech fans, they're defensive. And it's nice to talk to somebody who has a, who knows the program well and is hoping for the program's best. I think people tend to, to understand where you're coming from better as a result of that. Uh, they, I, we were here with Tobias. Joe was also with me. Stay tuned for future episodes this week. We're going to have some more stuff for you guys. Listen to this. And like I said, go back and listen a year ago. And I think you it, it is a really interesting experiment. Both episodes are about 30, 40 minutes. And it is kind of neat to see how we're developing, progressing. Um, we'll, we'll continue to talk to Tobias. He's a, he's a really, this, he's, he's a great guy, very knowledgeable so if you're looking for who you should follow that puts out a lot of Twitter content, you know, some of this stuff is paywalled. Tobias has always been out there with a lot of these guys as soon as this news is breaking. So he is well worth your follow on Twitter if you're just trying to keep up with a, a, a crazy new world. Even if you're somebody who's more of a casual fan, you just want to see like, oh, what kind of big guys are moving? You know, it's a great source for that information. So thank you all. Wreck and have a great rest of your week. <laughs>